Hey everyone, this is Gavin Hammer from Sendable, and today I'm joined by Chris Hutchinson from Trebuchet Group. Hey Chris, thanks for joining us. Great to be here. Absolutely, I'm really excited to, to have you on today. Um, obviously, as a first-time CEO myself, um, I know you have lots of insight into leadership, helping sort of CEOs deliver better performance from their team members. For those who don't know you, could you tell us a bit about what you do and uh, what you've been up to? Sure. I think at the core of it, Gavin, what we work on is helping organizations, especially businesses, get clear about where they're going together. A lot of them sort of are scattered or tend to pull in different directions. And I think help teams and leaders have confidence that they understand how to work well together to actually achieve those goals, to get to where they want to go. In my background, I started out as a mechanical engineer, actually aerospace and mechanical. And uh, people, you know, what are you, a recovering engineer? Uh, kind of. I mean, in fact, that I, I get to work with a lot of people and I really enjoy that part. And seeing how do we help people work together well to get to those goals was not the norm. I mean, when I walked into my first team, it was everybody out for themselves and you know, you better not say anything that's going to tick somebody off. Um, and shortly thereafter, I, I got changed to a different team where completely shifted uh, the way that people interact with each other. Here's my limitation. You know, here's my strength. Can I help you with your limitation? And people were very, very supportive of the shared goal. Actually, it's a misnomer that I transferred teams actually got a different leader. So it was the exact same people in the team and they completely changed how they interacted with each other based on how the leader showed up, what the leader was able to inspire within us. And that completely, I thought, you know, it doesn't matter how good of an engineer if I'm on team A, life kind of sucks. If I'm on team B, I love to come to work because that was the difference in my experience. So figuring out how leaders can make a difference and how we work together well, kind of as a system, has been, you know, probably the last quarter century I've been working. Wow. And how did you get started in that? I mean, what were you, what, what, what led you to kind of get involved in leadership and uh, helping to solve those problems? Part of it was I went through the reserve officer training corps in the States where um, I went into the Air Force. And that was, you know, in, in con- to basically pay back my scholarship, I served four years and then I extended that to eight. So I was in a leadership position and I saw many people who were technical in a leadership position that didn't really see themselves as leaders. So, you know, showing up differently in that environment, even then I was able to sort of take that and go to the high tech industry, went from 350 people working for me to me as a process engineer working for a team and really saw that the same kind of aspects of an effective team, harnessing everybody's strengths, do we know where we're going? Can we get there together? Was at the heart of that, the challenges in the high tech industry as well. So in about 2002, uh, Motorola, I risen to be a, a director of quality at one of the divisions and they had a big downturn and they gave a lot of people, you know, severances. I was one of those lucky few. Uh, and so I, I went out and started my own business thinking, you know, I want to help more companies do this because it, it's going to make a difference in the world. Cool. So, I mean, from, from your experience, I mean, I, I myself am a technical CEO and, and founder. Obviously, I've had to learn this along the way, you know, how to lead and how to inspire others. What are some of the challenges that you see most first-time CEOs getting wrong? And um, why is it important that, uh, you know, first-time technical founders improve their, their, their leadership skills uh, over time? Great question. I think there's, there's something, there's a little difference actually, because there's two things that you, you kind of conflated, right? There's first time CEO and founder. And the founder part is, I think, the, the bigger factor in that um, if you imagine uh, on a wall, we would dr- draw some items and we put them on a horizontal line. It would say, 
um, the vision, the uh, mission, the strategy, the role and the person, all those are equivalent when you're a founder. And so any kind of criticism of any of those pieces feels like a personal attack. It can't. You, know, you can go Google Founder Syndrome and find out, yeah, it's, it's not just you or me, it's a lot of people. So I, I think one of the key things is sort of, instead of having those horizontal, is you stack them vertically. And the vision and the mission, the you know, purpose, those things are ahead of the strategy, which are ahead of the structure, which is ahead of the role, which is ahead of the person. And when you can separate those two, of course, whatever changes at the top requires a ripple effect to the rest of the whatever's below. But it's not really, and this is hard because we're building this around us too, but really, ideally, the business is built around what the mission is, what the business needs, and I'm part of that happening. So that, that's a big challenge for CEOs who have founded the business and it's kind of their baby, myself included. <laughs> and uh, like, do you believe that great leaders are born or can you, can you create a great leader? I think you can create really good leaders. Um, I have it in my bio, it says, you know, I believe anybody can be a leader. And I've been challenged on that. Like, can you be a great leader? Anybody can be a great leader. That was a great question I paused and thought about and said, you know, if you don't care about people at all, it's going to be hard for you to be a great leader because there's so much involved in caring about people. You can go through all the motions and be a good leader, uh, but if you really, really don't like people, not a good idea. Um, That said, I think a lot of people will themselves back from thinking of themselves as a leader because they feel like well I don't have that authority or nobody's told me I can do this instead of sort of acting as a leader who would help others and as a result people can look around and say hey who, who do we need to help be a leader here this guy or this gal who helps people that's who we want so acting as a leader can help you become a formal leader leadership position and, and I think that it's it's something that everybody can grow their skills in and what sort of attributes should I be looking out for uh, in the company for future leaders? First thing is ask yourself the question and see what does the company need and may not need the way you're showing up. So most people by default will just put down like sort of a clone unintentionally, but they'll just write down, well, they have to have lots of initiative and they have to be confident and you know, they're willing to go the extra mile and they have to be entrepreneurial. Depending on where your company is, entrepreneurial might not be the thing to do because you need them to help the system grow, not create new systems every day. Yeah. So I think it's, it's really important to think about where your organization is in development, what's needed for it to grow. Is it scaling or is it new ideas? And then try to find people who have that in, you know, something in a track record. And that's just kind of, they would do it by breathing. That said, I think one of the other important parts is a willingness to put the organization ahead of themselves. So you already heard that in a lot of my stuff. It's like the people I lost a lot of respect for working alongside in corporate America were those who were more concerned about their next job than their current one. And that's not, a, that's not good, right? That's not something that's gonna help us succeed. Yeah. So thinking about what's the organization need, what's my role in it, I may have to go tell my team that we have to suck it up. I'm not there to defend the team and help, you know, make sure that we win at the expense of the rest of the people in the business. And um, is there any, anything that I could look out for in my company? You know, what are some of the signs that a team is not working to their, to their full potential? Any signals mm-hmm. I could look out for that would help me determine that there might be a need to spend more time on that team to help them grow or develop? That, that's a great question. One, one of my favorite authors, and we, we build off a lot of his work, is Patrick Lencioni. And he wrote a book called The Five Dysfunctions of the Team, which is kind of a leadership fable. I think he pioneered that fable, you know, learn through reading a story and you'll actually make it to the end of the book instead of halfway through and go, yeah, I got it. Yeah. Um, but he also wrote another book called The Advantage, which has all these lessons from all his books and says, here, let's put them together. 
And there's this model that's a five-layered triangle, sort of a pyramid. And it really talks about, it's, it's a really good model. And you could call it the five dysfunctions of a team if they're negative, but I kind of look at it from the, what's excellence look like? If we have vulnerability-based trust and I can show up without politics and armor, we can have really good, healthy conflict. That's the second one. Um, so that all the ideas are on the table. We don't have meetings after meetings. So I'm giving you some symptoms too. You know, like if we, if we never, re, you know, we keep revisiting things, we probably don't have the next level of commitment. Mm. doesn't mean agree. It's not like, because I said yes, then we'll do it. It's, this is tough and we got to commit to it to make it work. The last two layers are the ones that normally people are aware of. Hey, how accountable are we to each other? Not just to the boss, but to the mission and each other. And the final thing, are we doing a shared result instead of my ego, my paycheck, my, my group? You know, it's like first the company wins, my success is a byproduct. So any of those things, there, there's actually, uh, we, we put together a little assessment that people can take. They can send us a note on our email and, and say, hey, I'd like to have this. And it can identify some of these things. If the team isn't trusting, if they can't have conflict or it's really negative, mm-hmm. if they're not really committed, hard to hold each other accountable, and we're not going to get the great results that are possible. So in any of those layers, something can go off. And the cool thing is it's addressable. And the team working together can help. Um, and yeah, as I mentioned before, we're, we're building a remote sort of uh, company and culture, and we, we rely heavily on tools like Slack uh, for you know for our internal communication. Do you have any sure. tips uh, for effective communication at work? That's really you know I think one of the most important things is to think about what communication you need. And the biggest challenge going remote, we have one person who's remote on our team of five. Uh, here in Fort Collins or in Northern Colorado, and I have another team member in Portland, Oregon, so time zone and quite a distance. Those informal things that happen in our office where people brush up against each other and connect mm-hmm. uh, don't happen unless we're like intentional. So we've had lunches together with on Zoom. Uh, we've had things, you know, trying to figure out how do you sort of duplicate intentionally those informal connections that build the trust and help communication be understood. I mean, I could, we could send notes all the time, but if anybody on the team doesn't assume good intent, I'm not going to see that as something helpful. I'm going to see it like it's annoying and why can't these people get their act together and et cetera. So I, I think it's important for the informal parts. The other part is thinking, asking the team even, you know, what communication level do we need to be able to achieve that? Some people, Slack is awesome. Some people, Slack is annoying as heck because you can't focus at any length of time. Or We've had teams that said, yes, Slack is on and here's three hours on Wednesday and three hours on Friday that are Slack free because yeah. unless it's an emergency, people aren't going to be paying attention so they can get some head down time to actually write something or, or create something without distractions. So going to depend on your team. How about, I mean, what, what's working for your team? Um, yeah, it's a good question. So we obviously rely on Slack, as I said, um, but we've noticed that with people being more remote, they are more distracted because they have to keep checking Slack and making sure that they aren't missing out on information. Right. So I introduced sort of like a wiki uh, called Tetra, which sits between sort of Slack and Google Docs as a place where they can read up on decisions and uh, any things we're trying to solve, any problems we're trying to solve in the company and leave their feedback in their own time, which has helped a lot. It's also saved on meetings uh, because, you know, if, if someone goes on leave, you know, for a, a couple of weeks um, and they, they come back, they're just bombarded with Slack messages. So I wanted to have a place where they could go to see what's been happening while they've been away. And uh, yeah, just having this sort of wiki has really helped uh, in the interim. But yeah, I just, I just find like Slack is just full of noise. So I've had to train myself just so I create slots during the day when I actually check Slack, just so you can get meaningful work done. You know, that's, that's how we try to work. But 
something else we've done to improve communication is we've installed this um, extension on Slack called Donut. Have you heard of it? I have not, but it sounds like I'm about to. So it's pretty cool. It pairs up random people. Um, so every, every week or two, it'll just put two random people together and it gets them together for a coffee or for a lunch, uh, obviously remotely, but it gets them to speak to each other at random times, which helps to build culture and improves communication. But um, there's lots of, lots of things to learn when you're kind of moving towards remote working. But uh, yeah, so far it's been pretty good. Well, it sounds like you're really intentionally thinking about exactly what I said. You, you know, what, are the, what are the connections we need and how do we, with technology, in, the, in your case, really help make that happen in a way that's fairly easy for people. And then it'll happen. The harder it is, the less likely it's like, well, the good people will do this even if it's hard. It means it won't happen. Yeah. So making it easy, I think, is vital. That's true. Um, yeah, so obviously back to just myself being a solo founder um, and a CEO. One of the challenges I faced is letting go of my baby uh, and <laughs> handing, over, handing over responsibilities to others. But the way I learn is I like to experiment. So I'll, I like to try things. But for me to experiment, I often have to step on people's toes to, to learn. Do you have any advice for sort of founders who are in the process of letting go, but also need to learn as they let go? and uh, not feel like a step in other people's toes? Yeah. The short answer, and I love that you're talking about experiments, is involve the subjects in the experiment. So, you know, thinking about what's the outcome that the business needs up front, what's the outcome you would like to get out of this experiment, what's the outcome that they would like to get out of the experiment, and involving them in, hey, here's what I think, this is a starter, uh, how would you add to this? Not like, blank slates are actually pretty scary for people. Because they're like, well, I don't know if I say something, it's probably not going to be right. But if you've created a, a zone where, okay, here's kind of what we're talking about, people will willingly and happily add to that. Oh, here's a tweak, or did you think about this? And then I think, uh, you know, run the experiment. Uh, hopefully everybody's kind of looking for those results or, or attending it. So they'll, they'll even say, hey, if we do this little tweak, perhaps uh, this will be a better result. And you can decide whether or not to do that. Get to the end, um, doing a little like, okay, so how to, what would we continue out of what what would we start based on what we know now and what would we stop? Mm. You could simply do that. Another way to look at it. Um, and I like these very simple structures that people can put stickies on the wall, you know, all week long, you don't have to have a meeting for you. Hey, we did this thing. What went really well? Uh, what's not working well yet. And then what's missing or unclear. And, you know, a wall full of stickies that again, you could probably do something virtually fairly easy. I think too, you know, mm. a page in your wiki or something where people are putting comments in, gives everybody a sense of ownership because people will own what they help create. That's a really good point. Um, that actually uh, helps answer my next question, which is um, one of our core principles is to be the CEO of your domain. So we, we try to teach people to practice extreme ownership. Well, I tend to give them problems to solve. I don't mm -hmm. tell them what the solution is. I let them figure it out themselves uh, yeah. so they can then uh, level up and develop. But not all people are comfortable kind of tackling unknowns and uh, big problems. Do you have any advice as to how I could lead others? I know you mentioned this tactic now, but anything else I could do to lead them to be confident to take on big problems? I, I think I would look at what are the, um, so this is a system thinking, you know, okay, so you have this input that uh, you're not quite getting what you want. What's the outcomes that you're getting right now? How are people feeling either empowered or is it they're learning about what they shouldn't do? Uh, what's the feedback that could be helpful or not? And, and I would even, again, I would involve them in the conversation. Here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking we have a, a situation when people don't want to be wrong, where we recognize excellence and kind of, you know, people who mess up are a bit of a pariah for a while or whatever it is. I don't know what it is. It could be 
The other, the other key thing, Gavin, I think that's really important, you may not be doing it, but it might be in people's history, so therefore that's what they're going to expect. We talk about corporate PTSD in our organization, that there's so much of the folks that are like, well, I have to be this person, and I have to be this political, and I have to look good, and, and if that's still present as a habit, it's gonna be hard for people to step into that extreme ownership because they haven't been in a real CEO role. So I think exploring exactly what you would be trying to get out of it with them and see what they think might be the great parts of their experience and what could hold them back could help you tailor that to each person to make sure they can be a CEO of their domain. It's great I idea, think, I love that. Yeah, I think in most cases it's a fear of failure, uh, mm-hmm. just not wanting to mess up, but um, that's a real challenge to get people to overcome that fear. I had one team one time that um, they were in the sales team and they had the fear of failure and it was really holding them back and the CEO just went wacky. They got this award that they built. It was the ugliest thing you've ever seen. I mean, it was, I don't know, they got a garage sale and it was just this big base with all these things hanging off of it. And it was the failure award. And once every two weeks on Friday at like three o'clock, they would have this failure meeting. And the idea was people would bring their biggest mess up. And it took a little while for people to feel like it was okay, <laughs> but they actually got the point where it was everybody's laughing, but you know what, that laughing is connecting and people are learning from other people's mistakes. Um, and it really helped decrease the failures and have people have more fun. Uh, so, you know, don't know if that would work for you remotely. You'd have to send the thing around, but you know, maybe an <laughs> that's icon. That's a pretty cool idea. This really yeah. Ugly, ugly uh, reward. Like, yep, that was me. Uh, that's, a, that's a really good idea. Uh, so like, do you think that all CEOs need a coach? And for those that do, what should they look for in, in finding a coach? I think just the CEOs who want to grow and are willing to um, hear some outside their own. One of the most difficult things is being a CEO, and you know this, I'm sure. I feel this personally in this little company where we do feedback all the time. People inadvertently and, and with good intention will edit their feedback to me. So I don't really hear even the good stuff necessarily. I'll, I'll hear the sort of filtered things. So I'll hear not bad things and I won't hear really good things. I think one of the most powerful things about a coach is if they really can explore, again, this outcome thing. You know, where are we trying to go with this? Not let's go do coaching, but where do you need to be as a leader to help this organization? Oh, you need to, you need to let go. Uh, why? You know, what are the reasons? What's the benefit for you personally of letting go? Uh, sometimes I've coached folks, if they have a real hands-on get things done and they're finding it difficult to like, I sit around in meetings all day, I'm not doing anything go get that need met someplace else. I have a garden, I have chickens, I have a house that I build. You know, that's where I get my hands on stuff, not at work. Because if I do it at work, I get in people's way. So it's not like slap myself on the hand, don't do that. It's just go out and, and get some help. And my coach suggested that to me. So I think, where are you? Where do you want to go? What's the gap? Um, and have somebody who can explore that with you, who's willing to be straight up with you. And at the same time, not, I mean, unless you like it, brutal. You know, mm-hmm. how to help you get to where you want to go without having to feel you're failing. Because there's enough indicators that say, dang, I could be doing a better job here. The limitations hit me all the time because I see them very clearly from my position. So yeah. being supportive and clear, I think, are two things that are vital for coaches. And just from your experience, what are some uh, sort of common positives and negative habits that you've seen in other CEOs? Oh, um, <laughs> I guess there's a lot. I actually, it's funny, they sort of run in patterns and I see them across multiple clients. So I wonder if it's in the air. Uh, had a fellow yesterday who was talking about, you know, well, yeah, you know, I'm having trouble getting people to buy in and things. I come in, I tell them what to do. And then, you know, they, they, they kind of push back and I just like, I keep telling them what to do and it's not, they're not taking it on. And, and then the other thing was interesting. He goes, so what I should do is just sit and listen and not say anything. 
like, well, no, that's actually not going to work either. That'll reinforce that I got to jump in and take over. There's a middle zone of asking helpful questions. Helpful questions don't start out with why or who. Helpful questions start out with how much is this happening and what's occurring here and how do you think this is going to work? Um, so that you're exploring their thinking with them, not that you have the right answer and please guess mine, but uh, really helping them be successful, I think is part of what uh, cook, you know, good CEOs can do. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to fall into that. I, I would say one of my challenges is that um, I can have an, a greater desire to be helpful than is helpful. So, so I, you know, I was like, yes. hey, I can go do that. I can, you know, whether it's some small thing or, you know, I'll, so I think being able to sit back and think, okay, I'm not growing, I'm not growing this project. I'm growing a company. I'm growing a leader. What mm -hmm. do I need to work on with this person so that they can do this by themselves? So to your, you know, how do you, how do you build a CEO in your company so that everybody feels that CEO? What does the CEO need? I'm not talking about everybody being the CEO of their own domain. How do we help them get there? In a lot of ways, it's helping them struggle, actually, rather than solving problems. Because hey, yeah. we're with problems. That's why we do this, right? Solve problems. The problem <laughs> yeah. to solve is we need to have it so you don't have to do your job. You know, how do you do that? You, you, it's a different mindset to help people struggle and grow. Ultimately, I think that's much more scalable than, you know, at some point we'll run out of you and me. So, so where do you think CEOs should spend most of their time? I think that CEOs spend, need to spend a fair amount of their time really connecting with their folks and figuring out the, the, what, what are the customers hearing? How's the, how are the systems working in the business? How are they showing up personally? Do I know myself? Do I understand what I'm getting out of this business? And in turn, can step into vulnerability so other people can do the same thing. So it's kind of paradoxical. It's, it's almost like not getting things done and being open. It's around learning and not so much always teaching. It's around enabling others to actually step up and be responsible. And then the systems need to support that and support the reward, the, the benefits to that person or consequences if it's not working so well and they continuing to make similar mistakes. Cool. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and are there any, any CEOs that you are studying yourself personally or following? That's a great question. You know, I, I think I get so, uh, in some ways, enamored by the clients that I get to work with because these are folks that are virtually all self-funded like we are. They're really trying to figure out how do we create a better world through whatever they're doing. I, I'm working with one CEO who is probably the most generous and empathetic guy I know. He is the head of um, a chemical distribution company whose purpose is to be a blessing to others. So. A lot of people I say that and they go, what? You know, and they really live it out. I mean, they're, they're, the way their employees care for each other, they care for their clients, there's a deep caring. And it's in a commodity kind of industry. And they're doing well and, and able to be that blessing because of the way that they show up with each other and their clients. Um, so just, it's pretty cool. I mean, I, what's not to admire about that to me? Yeah. It's a purpose-based business. We worked with another group one time and they were, um, it was a junkyard. And doesn't sound, they were very green oriented. Like how do we help people have the most mileage from the cars that they have without spending so much money? And how can we responsibly recycle or reuse all these materials so that, you know, our planet's a better place. And you don't think of that with, with a junkyard. Yeah. So I think when the people that I admire, the ones that really step out and try to make a difference with themselves, with their team, with their company and really with the world. Cool. Um, and is there any, any playbook that we can use to become better leaders? Anything that you've, been inspired by over the years? Anything you want to share with the audience? Sure. Well, so I, I can sound like a shameless plug because uh, I, I wrote something of a playbook for leaders uh, called Ripple, 
It's a feed, field manual for leadership that works. And in it, I really combined a lot of the, the really excellent things I saw from Patrick Lencioni or Stephen Covey around how to be priority-driven priority in the right way. Some things from Chip and Dan Heath about how do we make good decisions. And anyway, there's, there's lots of amazing work out there. And what I was trying to do, because I saw clients struggling, was build a structure that says, how do I work on me as a leader? How do I work on us? you know, me and the team and individuals on that team. And then how do we go tackle a system that is going to give us repeatable results? So I think it's a good place to start. I mean, I have probably 40 or 50 linear feet of books on leadership. Um, so I could, if you gave me the symptom, I could rattle something off. But in general, I think that could be a good place to start for a lot of people. Cool. Yeah, I think I'm going to go buy that book after this uh, podcast. Um, <laughs> Uh, just some some passing uh, some parting advice. Uh, any any final words of wisdom you want to give to other CEOs or inspiring leaders? Wow, uh, so wise here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think hang in there is one of the most important pieces of advice. It can feel very difficult and isolating to be a leader. Very often, I feel this damned if I do, damned if I don't. And actually, that probably means I'm in the right place. It means that I'm considering the tension of. How do we help people be effective and happy? And how do we have a profitable company? Those don't always, there's not a pure connection between those. So being willing to sit in that uncertainty, being willing to forgive yourself, being willing to forgive yourself around what's going to matter and, and how you're showing up, I think is, again, it's the ripple effect of how you show up is going to be how other people start showing up. And if, if you see other people forgiving themselves and able to make a difference, you're probably doing the things that are going to make your life and theirs a lot better. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much, Chris. Uh, where can people find you online? Okay. So our, our website is trebuchetgroup.com. It looks like trebuchet kind of. Uh, if you look up the medieval war engine um, and put group on the end, you'll, you'll find it. Um, and if we, we go all over the country and sometimes we even get to Europe, which I'd love to come see you there in London. Uh, that'd be pretty cool. But you can look us up and We'd love to connect with anybody who wants to have a conversation. We're not a grab you kind of company. We're like, hey, what are you trying to do? And where are you trying to go? Could we help? Don't know. Cool. Thank you so much, Chris. I'm looking forward to following your journey online. Same here. And I really appreciate the willingness to have this great conversation. Great question.